Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. I have a question that was asked by someone online, and they wanted to know, why is it that anxious and avoidant people often find each other? It's a beautiful question. I want to speak a little bit about what you just said also, Kenzie, before I dive into that, about um, tending to our own needs. This is the only thing I would add to that. It's really hard to self-soothe when we haven't had that co-regulating experience well. Mm. We, it's like we literally can't. We can't self-soothe. Self-soothing comes from the experience of co-regulating. So for people that have really strong anxious att- tendencies, that's why you know working with a professional can be so helpful because imagine you're going to a therapist weekly. You're seeing them consistently. You're creating this. This person becomes a safe primary attachment for you that you can now co-regulate with so that you can learn to... It, that's what helps develop the internalized internalize regulating system. So I really just want to, I want to really highlight that. Again, I think we do live in a culture that is really, there's still a lot of confusion around needs. And I don't blame because it's like, it's very confusing. Like, how do we know what needs to go to someone else for? And how do we know which ones to tend to ourselves? The quickest way to calm our nervous system is to reach out to a safe person. That's the fastest way. Ooh, you're cutting deep. I love it. I love it. I I honestly never heard that before, that self-regulation comes from co-regulation. I think that that is so, so beautiful. And I think that you, by you saying that, that really does highlight the importance of strong, stable, wonderful, enriching relationships yeah. that you have with all different types of people in your life. Absolutely. And being, and really advocating for healthy interdependence, right? I'm going to have my own life, but if we need each other, if things come up that we feel safe enough with each other, that we can ask for reassurance for one another, that it's, it's very paradoxical, right? I'm what, there was a quote that was floating around. We're only as needy as our unmet needs. Hmm. Like as soon as I feel like I get, if I respond to a need, I'm soothed. I can go back to living my life now. There's a trust. And we also build positive regard. I remember in the beginning of my, I had a friendship with someone where she was just such this beautiful, stable person. And the first two times I remember reaching out to her, she was so wonderful. After that time, every time I would feel a need with her, because I had those positive experiences with her, I was like, you know what? I don't even need to actually reach out to her, but I have this trust that's built. You start to build this box of positive regard with people and you can we can use that. Like who's a person I can call upon when I'm feeling really anxious that can help me soothe, that can help bring my anxiety down, that can help me feel safe and anchored into my experience. Um, and we can also pull from that as well to have multiple ways of getting our, our needs met. And I want to get to your other question. Can you ask me it again? Because my mind blanked. <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, um, what everything that you're saying is so beautiful. And the 
the kind of like the images that are coming up in my head right now is um, having relationships that like really do mirror one another. So not just having one relationship that's secure, but having like this like web of relationships that you're just learning from that is just helping you co- helping with the co-regulation, helping you self-regulate, you know, really surrounding yourself with people that are um, like really exchanging help to one another. And then, like you said, you end up, you know, you might not even need to call them because you've like learned through them how to do it on your own and whatnot. And, you know, there's a distinction between Look, we all have to tolerate getting our needs not met sometimes. Of course, who, no matter who we're partnered with or friends with, they're not going to be available sometimes. So it's like, is the majority of the time, are they available, right? And the times that they're not available, are they just not available because they don't believe our needs matter? Or are they just not available because something else is going on? So that's so funny that you say that. Um, I put on a really unrealistic standard onto um, people that I've been in partnership with, where I, I do feel like I have this kind of like all or nothing thinking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you need to hit this mark 100% of the time or else I can't rely on you. And if I can't rely on you, then it's done. And it's like, obviously, the, I've like most definitely worked on it, but it is almost like a default that comes up to me. Um, And I remember talking with my therapist about it and she was very candid with her own um, experience with her partner. And she ended up saying something along the lines of like, we aim for 80-20, you know, we aim for about 80% of my needs being met and 20% of the time it not happening. She's like, but I can tolerate 60-40. She was like, yeah. And she's, and I was like, why have I never thought of this before? But I love that distinction, Kenzie. We all have a different tolerance level. Some of us mm. need more consistency. Some of us need less. And as we heal and evolve, work through some things, maybe our tolerance grows. So this is like, I, I love what you just said. Like she can tolerate 60, 40. Yeah. She said, I, she and she said, I can't do that for very long, but if her partner is unavailable for whatever reason, it's a, you know, let's say it's like a really rough, it's a rough patch in his life. It's a rough patch um, within their partnership. She said she can do 60, 40. And she said, what level are you at? You know, like what, what are you able to tolerate and what are you aiming for? Cause you can't aim for a hundred percent of the time with zero error. You just, you can't do that. Um, and I was like, cool, okay, I've got something to journal on for the next few years and how, how I'm doing that. Um, I love that. It's like managing expectations is, is also really important, particularly, I think, for the anxious attachment who, again, this is, this is the need. It can feel traumatic to feel abandoned by a caregiver. Like, we're basically, we're, it's survival. Like, well, if we don't get fed, we're going to die as a baby. So we don't realize that in the moment that we're not going to die. You know, we don't know. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like our brain just can take over. But I'm so glad you're bringing this up as well, because it's like the beautiful dance between attachment and needs, but also tolerating and that people are human and they're going to have their, their struggles and, and how do we navigate that, right? And what we can tolerate and how do we bring up those needs forward in the beginning so that people really can be considerate of those things, but also be realistic about how they can or can't show up for us. Mm, absolutely. Before we, before I reiterate the the question that I asked, I realized that we didn't go into secure attachment. Mm. 
So would we you should do that? Yeah. <laughs> would you be able to tell us and break down for us what secure attachment looks like? Absolutely. So secure attachment is about the caregiver being present and attuned a majority of the time, kind of like what you're talking about, you know, that the good enough parenting model, that it was good enough that, that that child was able to build trust. They were able to continue to make those bids to their caregiver so that the caregiver can respond. And what's really beautiful about people that have strong, secure tendencies is that as adults, they carry that sense of trust with them. They they're, tend to be more trusting. They tend to be really skilled at both reaching out and asking for their needs, but also with tolerating space. Like There's this beautiful dance that they can do really well. And they're really amazing partners because they can really help um, model those skills to people they're with, which can help other people evolve. They tend to be more win-win based. Like, I want to take care of what I need, but I also want to show up for you. They have this more collaborative experience because they're, they can, again, their ability to self-regulate is so strong because of the co-regulation with the caregiver. And it's one of the challenges with other styles. They tend to be more self-focused They because they want to protect themselves. They want to get their own needs met. It can be at the cost of relationship to the other person. So we want to model. We want to model after the skills of someone with secure t- tendencies. And also, you know, I really want to throw in a couple of things that isn't talk- talked about enough with the attachment theory is that there's some people who naturally have a temperament that's anxious. There's some people that, 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 you know, over the thousands of years, there's a, there's a book by my, my friend and colleague, her name is Cheryl Paul. Um, the book is called Wisdom of Anxiety. She talks about how people that had the strong anxiety were the, were the people that would recognize danger in the village. And they would be the ones, like the shamans of the village. You know, there's people that, that have dismissive avoidant tendencies that, my goodness, they are so great at giving space to others and understanding and supporting their needs and to, to really be cheerleaders for them. And I think that's often missed in the conversations and secure attachment kind of gets put on this pedestal which of course they have amazing qualities that we want to model after, but I don't want to minimize that, you know, even people with disorganized attachment, um, they can be so attuned to the needs of others. Yes, it can come from a hypervigilance and we want to monitor that. And, you know, we want to, we want to pay attention to that, but there could be gifted in those ways of really like, wow, I can track the needs of others and really be present. Now, how do we bring some balance to that? So it's also you know, bringing it to myself. So secure attachment, collaboration, the ability to trust, ability to handle space in a relationship and also be really direct about their needs. Those are really amazing qualities that I think most of us would agree that um, it would be beneficial to cultivate more of in our lives. What do you think, Kenzie? Oh, gosh, you're just such an incredible human. I love that you decided to throw that caveat onto secure attachment because we do romanticize secure attachment so much. And honestly, I would even go far enough to say that we do romanticize dismissive avoidant as well because dismissive avoidant um, is so individualistic that we champion that in our society. Like we, we, we do. And it's very, very, very masculine. And so I do understand that we tend to believe and maybe dismissive avoidant men show up in our lives a little bit more than dismissive avoidant women. And so I think that, um, 
putting those like warnings on those types of things and being like, there is a lot of subtext here that maybe we over romanticize one attachment and maybe there are gifts to each attachment. And with that being said, we can monitor the hypervigilant states that come with them. And we can monitor that the lack of regulation that it might come with them, but that, you know, the anxious attachment people, my homies, we, we can, um, you know, sense and, uh, be so attuned to the needs of other people to the point where we might lose ourselves, but that we have just such a heightened awareness of what's going on around us. And I think it's like a beautiful spin that you put onto that. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. The people that I know that have strong anxious tendencies are some of the kindest, warmest, most loving, caring people. And they care about relationships. They want relationships and they value relationships. And I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. And they deserve to to be responded to and for their for the nervous system to experience calmness and to be able to ah, relax in their in their in their close relationships. So yeah, I think it's it's I think it's so fascinating that you brought up how, you know, and and again, I just want to urge all of us, myself included, because when I first started this, I was taking all the quizzes, and I was like, this is what I and my therapist looked at me once. She's like, this one ain't you, and she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the way we see ourselves sometimes might not even be the way that others see us, mm. and so that's why I don't recommend quizzes anymore at all. I just think that it's, I really invite us to look at this as a very fluid experience. I have no doubt everyone listening, you and I both, Kenzie, have some secure tendencies in our tool belt and have some relationship skills. And there are other things that we can work on and and improve, absolutely. But just really inviting everyone to look at this more as a spectrum. And of course, if it helps you to label it as one, please, by all means do. It's kind of like when I when we work with diagnosis in the mental health field, if it helps you to have an anxiety label, go for it. But if it's starting to feel constricting and too limiting, see if you can soften your attachment to that and, and just pay attention to the behaviors and and just so that you can also bring more empathy for your experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I wish that there was a quiz that could show you that you were like 40% secured, 30%, you know, and and so on. Um, And I love thinking of it as a spectrum because so much of it is, so much of it is living in the thousand shades of gray kind of thing instead of just the black and white thinking that we so often have. And also, you know, identifying with a label. Like oftentimes we can get so trapped with an identity of a label like we become, it becomes like our safe space. You know, if I get to know anxious attachment so much, and then I start talking about myself as if like I have anxious attachment over and over and over again, um, I, I might be losing sight of the bigger picture, or it might be harder for me to like get rid of, like not get rid of, um, but work on some of the things that are in that attachment style. If I'm so highly identifying with it. And I would want to know, like, I, I I, can almost guarantee that, Kenzie, there are times where anxious attachment is not activated and that you are very stable in a relationship. And there are times where you're totally mutual and sensitive to others in, in equal ways. Mm. And I don't want you to ever lose sight of that. I don't want people to not see the exceptions to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's so, that's such a good 
good point that it's it's like it comes and goes like you know there are there are pieces of these different attachment styles that comes and goes because as you were talking i'm like oh my gosh i don't even know if i am fully anxious attachment because the disorganized attachment felt like the way that you personally described it i was like oh my gosh that is exactly me i'm not just anxious attachment i'm like a little bit of some of this you know and so i love the way that you described all of that so the question that I have is anxious and avoidant couples seem to attract each other quite a bit. Can these types of attachment styles work with one another? Yes, they can. Again, if all of the attachment pairings can, there's no way to know unless you try. And the reason why people that are more anxious and avoidant tend to be drawn to one another from my experience of seeing it. So we talked a little bit about people that have more dismissive avoidant tendencies, they're left brain strong. People that have more anxious tendencies tend to be more right brain strong. So they had more emotional engagement. Um, they struggle more with the with some of the left cognitive experiences. So they they can be really drawn to one another because they exude some of the things that they uh they themselves aren't really able to access so easily. So for example, me and my partner I've shared I have both anxious and avoided and lots of secure <laughs> tendencies and my partner was very inward and I was very drawn to his ability to go inside himself. I was fascinated. I was like, how do you articulate yourself so well? How do you just know how to be so like self-sufficient? And he was drawn to my my warmth and my ability to care about relationships in a way and be really close to people. Not that he wasn't, but this is an area where we just, we had different strengths and we were very drawn to one another. And of course, after we were drawn to one another, the stuff, the challenges started to come to surface. And it's really, I think the challenges, we want to make the other person like us a lot of the times. Like we want to close the gap. Like I want to be able to experience relationship. I want us to experience it similarly. And when you start to recognize and take ownership of the tendencies that can start to play out in the relationship, this is where you can see a lot of healing and a lot of possibility. Not everyone is going to be down for this, Kenzie. Like, I really want to make that clear. You have to be down to do some work <laughs> to challenge. For me, I can't just blame my partner and expect him to show up for my needs. Ain't going to happen. Nope. It's just, it's not. Like, I have to be, I have to work vigilantly on, oh my goodness, I just blamed you back there. I felt really anxious. I couldn't put words to my experience. And this is what's coming up for me. This was my nightmare to do, but in order for me to step into the relationship on my side of the street, this is what I had to really practice. And I still practice and it's still hard for me. And my partner, on the other hand, really working on stepping forward to the relationship, making my needs a priority and for him taking those relational risks. So we had to meet each other. Like it took a while. We've been together for over five years now. It took a while. It took a while. And both people have to see that they contribute to this dance. It's a dance. There's not one partner. There's not, and this is also within friendships too. I know we talk about intimate relationships a lot, but we experience a lot of these tendencies in our friendships. Anyone that we experience close, close relationships with. So Obviously, like I said, if if both people are on 
really opposite ends of the spectrum, it might be more challenging. They might need more professional support or they might realize, you know what, I want to be with someone that it's a little bit easier to navigate this, these things with. Is there enough of, in this relationship? Is there enough good, positive experiences that's worth climbing this hill? Because there has to be, right? There has mm. to be something pulling us to motivate, inspire us to want to work through this stuff with someone. We're not going to just want to go for that ride for the heck of it. I mean, maybe some people might, but I don't know if that's very common. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. I love this idea of stepping back and stepping forward. I love that. And I can tell for myself when I am, you know, um, struggling with anxiety in a relationship that there is a moment for me to step back and and go inward and really ask myself what's going on here. And when I start doing my fearfulness or um, my dismissiveness, that's when it's time for me to step forward and start actually reaching out because I can I can um, almost like leave the relationship in a way, like mentally and emotionally. You know, I can just, I can leave if I'm feeling like, oh, I can't, this person isn't safe or the, I can't rely on this person or this person disappointed me or this person is asking too much from me. I'm going to emotionally remove myself instead of stepping forward to say like, hey, I, I should have a conversation about this. Um, these are my boundaries or can you communicate with me in this, whatever, whatever the situation is. So I love this idea of a dance because so oftentimes people, you know, focus on balance, hashtag balance, we need balance. And I'm like, is there such a thing or is there just like a flow of something, you know, like what does balance actually like kind of like what you were saying earlier, like what's the gauge for secure attachment? Like what is, <laughs> what is balance? Because all that I know is that there's like, there's just a flow of something that's happening. And then that flow changes into something else. And like you were talking about, like it's a dance. Absolutely. And I'm completely with you. And that's why even when I said the word balance, I was like, nope, getting this word, we're tossing it out. This is going. There's, it's <laughs> sure. <laughs> like setting us up for this. It's like this capitalistic chase of like this goal of like, eh, I don't know if this is really beneficial to anything. And we can talk about creating connection rituals. You know, we can talk about how do we incorporate more positive relation, relational um abilities and skills and things and we can we can notice okay we've been feeling disconnected a little bit what can we do is there a repair conversation that needs to be had is there a vulnerable conversation that you know might benefit from being had Um, are we spending enough time together are we spending enough time actually talking and spending quality time there's so many ways to gauge quote unquote what balance means for us and for me it's like is there fulfillment is there connection is there um is there open communication, especially during this pandemic? I mean, this is an important note to bring up. Our attachment tendencies tend to get kicked up under stress, kicked up. Like we'll see them more fully. And during this pandemic, it has been happening. I mean, you're you're seeing like my anxiety has been higher. I'm like giving my, I'm like close to starting. I'm like, I think I might need to start my take anxiety medication. This is, this is pushing me to my own edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, and people that have more avoidant tendencies, are a lot of people are locking inward during this time. I'm noticing patterns in friends and you know distant call and colleagues, and so being aware of what our self protective mechanisms are. Like, what are the things I do that pushes relationship away? Like, I love what you just said, 
can, can see. It's like if I if I don't speak up my boundaries or my needs, it's kind of like a, if I don't do that, it's kind of like the relationship doesn't have a chance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm learning that actually, you know what I, I used to, I've talked about this, I've talked about this a little bit online, is that I used to play like the cool, confident, chill girl in relationships that I was like, I'm going to focus all on my needs and I'm going to be like, I'll be anxious about them, but they'll be mine. Like they'll be protected, they'll be mine. And when people didn't speak up for their needs, I would guess them, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask them directly about them or, and I wouldn't ask them directly about their boundaries, but I would try to like figure them out. Like I would be like, okay, this is like going to be a fun little game. I'm going to try to figure this out. Um, and now that I realize is I'm like, oh my God, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> what was I doing? I really, I, I value so much when people can verbalize what they need and what they don't need or what they want or what they don't want. Because to me, I'm like, oh my God, I work so much better with that. Like that just like makes me feel like I can figure out and I can know exactly where you start and where I end or where I start and where, where you start kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And to me, it's like, that part of communication can feel so vulnerable and it can feel so risky because if you assert a boundary or if you speak about your need, there's a moment there where that other person can reject you. And that's the risk that we take because the reward of that is them not rejecting you and the relationship strengthening and the respect that comes with honoring your boundary or meeting your need or just communicating it in general, I think is so rewarding and so valuable. I, it's it's so fascinating that the clarity is the is something that I'm hearing that's really important for you. Is that would you say clarity is the thing? Oh my gosh, I love me some clarity for sure. <laughs> so with, with disorganized, fearful attachment, I talk about I talk a lot about this in my in my dating program where each style tends to have core needs. With with the anxious style, it's that consistency and the reliability. With avoidant, with dismissive avoidant, it's the trust. Like, can I trust you? Is this person going to really? De- can I depend on them? Can you know? Can I take this risk with them? With disorganized, it's clarity is one of the big ones. The reason why is is this instability a lot of the time. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to be there? Is it going to be frightening? Is it going to be chaotic? What is it? So we live in this constant like chaotic experience, and. You know, recently I, I reached out to a friend that, you know, I wasn't sure if our relationship was developing. And I get very confused by not knowing, like those labels, like, what are we? Like, I hate that limbo period. So for me, part of my work, even though it's hell, like you said, it's so hard to do that. But asking for clarity can be so healing for this experience. Even if, the, like you said, even if I'm rejected or I don't know what's going to happen on the other line, in some ways, it's like better to have the clarity than to be rejected in a way for me. That's how I, that's how I feel. I'd rather just know. Oh my God. Yeah. I struggle so hard with not knowing. <laughs> I struggle so hard with not knowing. And it's definitely something that I'm currently working on. And is that, that like, that space where maybe you, you don't get to know, like, um, you know, like, let's say you're taking a break from someone and you're in like a no contact period and you're in a space where you're like, you just have to sit in the unknown, um, I think can also is like 
very, very, very valuable, but I definitely feel so much more regulated when I'm in partnership or when in my close relationships that I have with people, when they can just be very clear with what's going on with them. Um, so that, cause especially when like you are a sensitive person and you can sense that something is off and you're like, I know I'm not making this up. I know I'm not making this up, but you also have that fear in you that if you ask them what's going on, that it's going to push them away further. Absolutely. Like we don't want to appear to be, what's the word? I don't want to use the word crazy because I I'm, that word is also thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to feel like we're, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting, it's like that that clear communication. It's it's like someone with solid communication skills, like mm-hmm. good with expressing their needs, good with just sharing. And it's one of the things that's so challenging about dating, especially in the beginning, there is no clarity. Like you have to tolerate that unknown period. You can't mm-hmm. just jump from meeting someone at a cafe to <laughs> we're together and we're going to be together forever. <laughs> it's so hard. Honestly, Kenzie, that was the hardest thing for me. So I so get the need for clarity. Like I'm right there with you on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've talked about this a little bit. You've been, you've been um, quite public about this, that you and your partner actually split up in at the six month mark. Yes, we did. Oh, we were very wow. self-protective. <laughs> wow. And were you two in a journey of like knowing attachment styles because your partner does similar work? Um, not quite the same work as you, but similar work. Is that right? He is a relationship coach also and does write, writes and does blogs, a lot of relationship oriented. We have different frames, but our work definitely has a lot of intersection together. Yeah. Beautiful. Were you two, because I think one of the next questions is that I have is like, how do you work on different attachment styles when you're in relationship with people? And I know that you kind of talked about it, um, you know, through talking about the different attachment styles you know, you've said stuff like, you know, holding space for yourself, like going inward, asking yourself, like, what are your needs right now? Taking a moment to pause, uh, stepping back, stepping forward, like, you know, doing that dance and stuff. But one of the questions that I have that was asked so much by people wanting to know is how do you work on these attachment styles when you're in relationship with one another? It's a beautiful question. And I'm like, where do I, where do I go with this? So my partner and I broke up at the six month mark, um, going along with what I was saying with, we both had so many relationship insights and done so much personal development work. And we're like, we're solid, both single for six years, just doing so much self, 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 self work. And I think one of the, one of the challenges for, for a lot of us is there's personal development and then there's relational development. They're different skills. They're going inward, meditating, Yes, can they support one another? Of course. But we don't know what's going to necessarily come up for us in a relationship until we're in a relationship. So it's like, it's great to have the frameworks and the lenses, but when you're in it, that's when you really want to start anchoring and doing the work. So yeah, we both got very anchored into our self-protective styles. We couldn't tolerate it. I'm more of a runner. Um, and I ended the relationship because I couldn't tolerate I couldn't tolerate the discomfort that I was feeling. And when we got back together, we both we you know immediately started therapy. We're both huge advocates of it, and we we do therapy as needed when we feel stuck. 
And one of the things that was really helpful when we worked with uh, an attachment specialist therapist was he would do role play with us where we would he would take us to the core of the attachment patterns and not get fixed on the content of what we were saying. Mm-hmm. So again, from an attachment perspective, for me, it's being able to express what my needs are from a non-blaming way. So really practicing those skills. And for my partner, learn, le- learning to trust me, rely on me was a huge risk for him to take. And there's still huge risks, but over time you start to build that, again, that, that trust builds over over a period of time where you're starting to see someone is is wanting to show up for what those needs are. And, you know, one of the things I ask my partner often is, what do you need? Because he doesn't always know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he's not always in touch with them. Like, what do you need from me right now? Or just starting to really tune into what those needs are, even if he doesn't verbalize them, or just constantly reminding him, your needs matter to me. Your needs really, really matter. Like I want to show up for you. Like, what are the reassuring words that we can bring to the other person that can create that reparative counter counter experience? Like for my partner, you know, being able to reassure me around, you know, I'm 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 here. I'm and consistently showing up when I am the beginning of our relationship. I I really wanted a morning check-in every day. I needed that. I couldn't go a whole day without staying connected to my partner. My nervous system would just, it could not handle that. And I knew that about myself. And I knew that I needed some touch points. And I I wasn't willing to go without them. It was just a hard no for me. And he would do it. And he would, he wouldn't, he would, he would respect the need. And I was, I was just grateful that, you know, this was, there was a person that was able to really see them, but it was so hard to express. Mm. It was so I felt so cheesy. I felt like, oh my gosh, this person's going to look at me like this needy person. But that's also, I think, culturally um, normalized here to just not, again, like you, you spoke to it perfectly, this very individualistic culture that we live in. And so I don't know if that helped answer the question, but there's so many things, but understanding what your attachment needs are. What are the reparative experiences that, would help you create more connection with a person. And are they are they down? Are they are they willing to engage in that collaborative way? I like to ask these questions early in the dating experience. And that can be something like, you know, like you said about the clarity. For someone that has disorganized tendencies, you know, saying something like, I really love when somebody can just be really clear about what their needs are, just, you know, coming to me with their boundaries. Open communication is so vital for me. What do you think about that? How does that feel for you? Or somebody that has dismissive tendencies might need some solo time, you know, to because they go inward to process when they're struggling. So they might say, you know, sometimes I like to go away for like a weekend, um, but I'll, you know, I'm still able to check in with my with my partner. And I know I'm talking in the dating domain. I'm used to that because of that. But we can. This definitely applies to friendships as well. And just checking in, you know, what do you need during that time? So not just making it about your needs, but also bringing the other person into this dialogue so that it starts to become a collaborative win-win. If I'm bringing my needs forward, guess what? It's going to make it more comfortable for you to bring yours, I would think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we we would hope for sure. We would hope. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I felt, I think that the more risks that I've taken in in partnership and in relationships – in that sense of, of risks of vulnerability, you know, like I'm really, I'm really nervous to tell this person that I need this. I'm really nervous to tell this person that I'm thinking this. 
I, I have found them to be so enriching. And I have found them that even when, you know, maybe things didn't go out, though, didn't go the way that I necessarily wanted them to, that the value was in and of itself there mm-hmm. by me being vulnerable. That was like, you know, that courage and that bravery that it takes to withstand being nervous and withstand rejection and withstand um, potentially losing someone over remaining true to what you want and what you need and what your heart and brain needs in order to move forward, I think is the most valuable thing that a person can do. And it's, it is truly, it feels so nerve wracking to begin to do it. Like I, I still struggle with it with most of my relationships that I have, like even my best friend my most my best friends the ones that are like most honest the ones that will be with me that are like ride or dies you know like I will still get so nervous to be like hey can you I don't know message me back a little bit faster or can you like I I, I haven't said that to someone but like something like along the lines of that um it still feels so scary because what if like in this instant they're not the person that you think that they are or what if in this instant then they can't hold you and it's like well at that point you just have to focus in on can you hold yourself like can you do that instead of that person holding you in that discomfort oh so so i love the example you gave can you text me back a little bit sooner oh what a vulnerable <laughs> ask but so beautiful kenzie it's so hard. <laughs> oh, I, I, I understand. It's so hard. <laughs> and and this is kind of life's work. One of the questions that I have here for you is, um, and you did you did touch on it before as well. Um, is secure attachment the goal? And of course, like it's like a yes and no answer because of course we'd all like to be like a little bit more secure. But like what you mentioned as well, there's so many more. There are so many gifts to each attachment style, and um, it's not about romanticizing one over the other, but is secure attachment the goal? I would reframe that more so to say, do we want to cultivate more collaborative relationship skills, period? You know, if I'm a monk or if I'm somebody that wants to spend my life meditating and really not being in relationship with other people, is secure attachment the goal? I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know. Or... Yeah, I'm trying to think of other scenarios where we might not care about that, right? Like, it's still a personal, it's a personal choice. Um, But I think if we want relationships to be fulfilling and mutually satisfying and beneficial, creating secure behaviors and tendencies can be incredibly valuable. While we also acknowledge and hold compassion and empathy for our stories and and the richness that they come with and um, not to shame ourselves for. I'm so grateful that I have the anxiety that I do, even though it's so hard sometimes. I'm so grateful that even though sometimes I overextend myself in certain ways and I realize that, like you said, the people pleasing, I have that as well. I also, I don't want to take it away. You know, when I work with a client and they, we know we're working on a skill, I say, we don't want to just take, remove this because there's parts that we want to keep. We want you to be aware of your surroundings. We want your warmth. We want your compassion. We want all of those things. And maybe it's just looking at certain contexts where they're hurting you. Yes, absolutely. What are, just just quickly before we end, um, we have talked about a lot of like the gifts that come with, um, or a few of the gifts that come with uh, anxious attachment. When I think of dismissive and when I think of 
disorganized. Mostly when I think of dismissive, I think of like some of the gifts that can come with that. And I think a lot about how the self-sufficiency can be really beautiful and this ability to have internal conversations instead of always externalizing them. And I think a lot about like introverted people. Um, What are some gifts that would come with the dismissive attachment? The one that you were just talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, everything that you just said, exactly that. You know, my partner, he's so calm (laughs) a lot of the time. And I was like, how are you not upset about this thing? And, <laughs> and when, you, when you break down dismissive attachment, actually, they did research on breakups. And even though somebody that has dismissive avoidant attachment might appear calm on the surface, but when they attach them to different, I don't know what the term is, devices that can monitor, their bodies were actually not calm at all. So because they had to really kind of inwardly take care of themselves, they had to self-soothe um, there's a lot going on beneath the surface, but there, yeah, everything that you said, piggybacking on it, you know, there's this ability to that that taking care of themselves, being really skilled at uh, tolerating a lot of disconnection in relationships. Again, in one context, that would be not looked at as an ideal thing, but in some context, it can be. So it's very, very context specific. I love the introversion and the self, the knowing of self that can be cultivated in this style. Um, and also, you know, one of the things my partner is wonderful at, he always supports me to have personal space. He always supports me to take, you know, like my hobbies. Like I feel like he's just the hugest cheerleader and advocates for those things. I don't feel like I have to really worry about him when I'm doing things for myself in that way. And that's, that's there's a liberating, freeing quality about that. Um, and of course, I still want to be connected to him while I'm doing those things. And I'm like, but wait, hold on. I don't need this much freedom. You know? <laughs> but it's still a gift. And I appreciate it regardless of, you know, the other side that comes up for me. It's so it's just noticing, you know, and the delivery matters, right? If someone is, is bringing those things to the table in a way that's very dismissive, which is part of the term, like your knees don't matter, or that can be different than someone who's really using those strengths and those gifts in a ways to serve the relationship or the other person and to, to be a supportive ally to the other person. And for disorganized, I would say, you know, the hugest piece would be that that profound attunement to other. Again, cultivated through hypervigilance, right? Because it's scanning the environment. So we want them, we don't want them to live in that place. But, you know, you might see people that do that in professions where they're they're able to really recognize little nuances. I think that's what makes me a good therapist and, you know, a good coach is because I can kind of predict things. You know, even when I write my work, I already know people's, um, I know what their things are, like what the objections are going to be. Like, I know, I know what people are going to, like, I can empathize with so many different scenarios because my brain has kind of had to live in that place so it's that anxious brain. I have to. I've had to work to calm it, but it also has strengths. Does that make sense? Mm, oh my gosh, it does for me. Yeah, absolutely. This is just such a beautiful conversation, and I feel like I have gained so much knowledge. And I honestly feel so excited to journal tonight. I'm going to journal on Yay. so much of what you've said and so many thoughts that I have and reflections that I have on the on all of this. So thank you so much for sharing some of your expertise with us. I know that I really appreciate it, and I know that our listeners really appreciate it. If people wanted to chat more with you, or if they wanted to find you online where can they find you? 
So honored, Kenzie. Seriously, this was wonderful for me as well. Um, the best hub to find me would be my Instagram, where I post lots on relationships and um, friendships and uh, dating. Um, Instagram is at Sylvie Kukassian, which I'm not going to spell. I'll let you do that. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes for sure. <laughs> and if anyone is single and in the dating and struggling with that, I do have a dating program that um, talks all. It's, it's a 12 plus hour video modules on attachment styles and really using the wisdom of it to support your dating journey and how to ask for your needs and how to clarify boundaries. It covers so much of all the, in all the dating domain world. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much, friend. I really appreciate this today. And I'm glad that we're going to, I'm going to separate this into my first two-part <laughs> interview yeah. because I've never had that before. It was just so, so many like nuggets of wisdom here and just like lots to chew on. So we really appreciate you and thank you so much. Thank you, Kenzie. So honored and can't wait to, to hear this live and just so, so, so grateful. All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. Until next time. <laughs>